You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Welcome to this week's episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. Uh, I am super excited to uh, be joined by Dr. Danielle McCammy. Uh, she started her nursing career at Georgetown University Hospital in the PACU and Medical ICU. Shortly afterwards, she obtained her Master's of Science from Georgetown University, specializing in acute care advanced practice. She then, re- she then received a doctorate in nursing practice from Georgetown University. She has 18 years of critical care nursing experience and 11 years as an acute nurse practitioner. Currently, she works as a chief advanced practice provider of pre-anesthesia testing department and senior advanced practice provider in the surgical intensive care unit. In addition, she is the co-creator of the and chair of the Doctoral Nurses Collaborative. Dr. McKamey, uh, was inducted as a fellow in the American College of Chest Physicians back in 2019 and was recently elected as the vice chair of the Palliative and End-of-Life Care Network, where the focus is on education, raising awareness, and palliative and end-of-life care in chest and clinical practice. Dr. McKamey is the founder and CEO and president of the DMPs of Color. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here. <laughs> Thank I'm you ex- for inviting me. Thank you for being here. Uh, you and I sort of, uh, I want to say sort of accidentally uh, <laughs> became connected through yes. Instagram. Yes. Um, so, so thank you for being here. Um, and we have, we, have a, we have a common person that uh, we both <laughs> happened to, one of my former guests on the show, Dr. Ferreira. Yes. Uh, so uh, he's an outstanding mentor and individual. Uh, we can talk dirt about him later, but for now, Sounds good. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, let's talk about uh, you. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was reading, I was reading your bio. I'm like, you're like 25 years old. How did all this? Happen? <laughs> <laughs> How did you do all this? Well, that's a different story. Um, so um, let's talk about your career. Um, how did you get decided that nursing was your path and this is where, where you're going to be thriving for your professional career? So nursing wasn't my first choice. I younger When I was younger, I always wanted to be a physician and then it morphed into being a physical therapist. And then I applied to nursing school because I felt like I could get to caring of patients quicker mm. than the physician route. And so, um, and my mom always took care of people in a nursing capacity. She's, um, she's, prim- she's a phlebotomist, but she's always did home care type stuff. So watched her taking care of people. So I was like, I want to just start taking care of people. 
So once I got into nursing school, I fell in love with it. I was like, it just makes sense to be a nurse. Like I can do anything as a nurse. So it just kind of stuck. And so here I am. That's fantastic. What was your path in uh, going to nursing school? Like, uh, did you have it like was other than your mom? Was there any like role models that you you looked at and said, hey, that's that's what I do? Was it was it easy getting into nursing school or what was that process for you? Well, I got into healthcare because of my mom, and then I also um, read Gifted Hands. So for a while, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Wow. And so did a couple things to try to dabble in um, pre-med, did some summer camps, so kind of got inspired in that way. But like I said, once I got into nursing school, I was like, this is, I'm good at this. I love being into in intimate places and spaces with patients and families and being the the trusted professional, if you will, because you know, <laughs> we've been that for the past 19 years. That's um, right, that's right. And uh, being with people in those special moments really resonated with me and felt like it was my path, so. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, you started in the PACU in a medical ICU, uh, and then you went and got your master's. How, how, what was the inspiration for you to move on uh, and get your master's degree rather than just be, be, be happy with where you are? I actually was happy being a medical ICU nurse. I started off in PACU, then transitioned to medical ICU. But it was my great uncle, who I consider a father figure, that said to me, you know what, Danielle, you know, you need to start expanding your career, looking into getting more education. And at the time, he was he had the foresight of uh, understanding the landscape of healthcare that it was moving toward embracing advanced practice in the primary care setting sure. and also being expanded in different specialties. So he encouraged me to go. And at the time, Georgetown had this awesome, awesome scholarship opportunity that those that applied and got in, they would have um, a partial scholarship. So a portion of the tuition paid for nurses that worked at Georgetown to go to Georgetown. Oh, wow. So that was an offer I couldn't refuse. So I applied and thankfully got in and took advantage of that opportunity. That's that's great. Uh, it's always nice to hear organizations that support, like significantly Absolutely. support. Because I know there's two issues that usually people run into whenever thinking about going back to school. One of them is time. The other one is mm -hmm. money, which yes. often we don't address Right. So mm -hmm. I think it's important when organizations actually step up and say, we want you to wherever you are to come to that to the table with more knowledge. I think that's yeah. that's fantastic when they make those opportunities. Now, I have mm -hmm. to ask about your uncle. What does mm -hmm. your uncle do and how did he have this insight? <laughs> <laughs> I love my great uncle, great uncle Mike. He is a former Capitol Police officer of 40 years. Wow. And he's always kind of been very intuitive, very visionary, very um, uh, always seeing the landscape 10, 20 plus years ahead. And I guess that's probably from his police training, anticipating, evaluating, mm. making decisions. And so, like I said, I, I view him as a father figure. So I take heed to his wisdom, his guidance and direction. And um, he... Yeah, he currently is living with my mom, but me and my mom, we um, we take turns taking care of him. He's in his um, mid-70s, and um, so it's kind of fun to to have him around and uh, help take care of him. Yeah, it's always nice to have uh, wisdom around you. 
Absolutely. Um, I, I, I always I always love learning from people who've experienced life more than I have, and it's always a, it's always a gift. He's gift. got a lot of stories to tell because he served uh, uh, under many presidents. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to hear some of that history as well. That's fantastic. Um, now, you uh, you have obviously gone on and gotten your uh, DNP, and you're doing a lot of work uh, around that arena. Um, how did you get inv- How did you decide that was going to be your route? And uh, if you can give us a little bit of uh, your, your thought process on how, how that came to be. It's so funny because every response that I have for you was like, I was comfortable having my master's. I never thought about working <laughs> my DMP. And so that's how it is for my DMP. I had been a nurse practitioner for about um, four years and uh, in the surgical critical care team. And um, one of my mentors, we were on a night shift in the cardiovascular recovery room and he had just finished up his PhD, and he's like, Danielle, you need to go back and get your doctorate. And I'm like, I'm good here. I finally don't feel like a novice. I feel like I'm understanding critical care. I'm comfortable. I'm, I think that I'm okay with that. And every time he would see me, he was like, you need to go back. You need to go back. So I actually applied, and I applied to a couple of schools, got into uh, a, a couple of programs, and just the timing wasn't right. So then... I just kind of stuffed it in my back pocket, and he came back again and was like, so how about you going back <laughs> to get your doctorate? So I applied again, and then Georgetown actually was uh, in the process of creating their, um, their DMP program, and they offered a scholarship, and I applied and got in, and so here I am, class of 2017, cohort two. We call ourselves the 12-pack. <laughs> <laughs> So, and that was, again, taking advantage of another scholarship opportunity was great. So I'm a double Hoya. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, again, those opportunities for somebody else to pay for <laughs> your education. I'm, I'm so grateful. Yeah, I, I went into my PhD program uh, thinking that I was working on the service side and making enough money. <laughs> and a couple of years into my PhD program, I resigned and went into academia and I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to pay for these loans? <laughs> and then, thankfully, I applied for a HRSA grant after I graduated. Oh, nice. And they have – I'm about to finish my third year of them paying my loan, mm. which is huge. I mean, that for what I huge. paid for my Ph.D. program. Uh, it, yeah, so three years, and I maybe I'll have about a year of loans left. Mm, I'm hoping, nice. fingers crossed. Uh, but, yeah, they paid a huge chunk of it, and I'm thankful mm. for those – for mm-hmm. that. But – uh, but yeah, again, anytime you can get for anybody who's listening, who may not have, who's yes. worried about money, get somebody else to pay for it. Yes. Uh, that's, that's the moral of this that's story, the, right? Exactly. The pearls from this talk, <laughs> from this talk, get somebody else to pay for your school, uh, or as much of it as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, now I know you've, you've, you've done a lot, you've done a lot and I want to make sure I, I touch on how do you have, well, first of all, how do you have time to do all the things that you're doing? Because <laughs> You are. I'm reading this. You are. You are. So first of all, you have a day job. I should say that. I do and have then, a day job. And then you're, but you're also chair and co-chair, and you're president and CEO, <laughs> and you're like all these side jobs that none of them pay you probably anything, <laughs> right. right? It's all like this volunteer time. Uh, so, so let's start with uh, what I, and I have to ask because I'm sure that I've never heard of it. I'm sure other people haven't heard of it. Mm-hmm. What is uh, 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 
that what does the American College of Chest Physicians do? <laughs> well, the American College of Chest Physicians, it's a medical association, and um, they focus on the field of chest medicine, which includes um, critical care, which is how I got involved, sleep right. medicine, pulmonology, um, and also palliative care, which is I'm the vice chair of that particular committee. And uh, with my uh, critical care group, a lot of us are members of CHESS. So that's kind of how I got connected. And they do an awesome job in creating space for advanced practice providers um, in offering opportunities, leadership, speaking. So the environment is really conducive for elevating to be vice chair as a nurse practitioner and pathway to fellowship. And they also provide you with mentors when you, um, uh, if you identify, uh, if you're um, in, in, in a, having a desire to be mentored. And so that's kind of how I got these opportunities. My mentor, Dr. Cedarstrom just kind of took me by the hand and put me in different speaking opportunities. And by the time I turned around, I had this full CV of chest contributions that um, I applied for fellowship and got in and then elevated to vice chair. That's, that's outstanding. Now this is, this is a primarily like a physician led group. So I have to ask this just because there is so much, um, issues around scope of practice mm-hmm. and physicians and advanced practice nursing. So how, how's that, that dynamic play, play in this? Because this sounds like an ideal, uh, like symbiotic relationship. <laughs> uh, so, so how, how did this, this, how, how, how do they approach this? That is different than what we norm. Well, I don't want to say we normally, what I normally see, I should, I should say, which is this like more of a, not like, you stay in your lane. Out, will we stay stay in our lane? Type mm-hmm. of a mm-hmm. mentality. This is this is so much more ideal. Um, you know, I I would have to attribute to the leadership. They're they're very innovative, progressive, and um, really being intentional about being inclusive and also yeah. recognizing the value of the advanced practice provider on the on the healthcare team. And so, my experience, I've been in chest since. Oh my gosh. I've been I've been there for a while, for a couple of years now, and I've never run into any of that weird friction about uh, scope creep or any negative interactions with any physicians. Yeah. And I go to the annual meetings. I've been going for like the past like five years, and we collaborate on different talks, educational offerings. So it it is ideal. But I mean, I'm sure there are some folks out there that don't necessarily agree. But my experience being in a, at least five years, I have never experienced that at all. Well, that's fantastic. That's, mm-hmm. That really is that, like that would be the 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 like for again not to overuse the word ideal, but the ideal situation where where we have uh, we have uh, nurse practitioners and physicians working as colleagues as opposed mm-hmm. to this hierarchy that a lot of people tend to push and doesn't exactly it doesn't work. Um, that's that's great. Uh, now, in addition to that. Uh, you uh, and I know a little bit about this because I, I've seen your work uh, through uh, social media <laughs> with uh, with your with your which is something that you started, which mm-hmm. is the DMPs of color, mm-hmm. uh, which I find f- just absolutely incredible that you've taken this on because I can't imagine taking on something <laughs> like this. It's just such a such a such a uh, ambitious and such. Uh, visionary work that I think is needed. So 
Uh, talk to us about how you started thinking about this and then where the organization is now. So DMPs of Color is a manifestation from my experience while I was getting my doctorate. I went to a uh, predominantly white institution and I came into our cohort as the lone black woman to start off. And I came with a lot of firsts. I was the first in my family, product of a single parent family household that was told that I would never get to this level of education from high school guidance counselor. So I, I came with all of these things to prove this pressure to succeed. And I was looking for a community of support, those that look like me and also going through the same journey as me. And I did not find it in the current um, nursing groups that I was a part of. And so I just created a random Facebook group, which at the time I didn't think that it would, you know, snowball into what it is today. And uh, we probably within the, the first couple of months had about 200 people in that group having the same feeling of wanting community, wanting support, wanting to network, looking for mentorship. So we kind of fostered that within the social media group. That was back in 2017-ish. And so now 2021, we launched officially as a nonprofit back in May 2020, which launching during pandemic, hindsight, <laughs> probably wasn't the best. But we had been sitting as a nonprofit since 2018, and it was like, let's just, we got to get started. Just pull the trigger on it, right? Pull the trigger. And so we did that. And so now we're up to about 1,500 individuals in our private Facebook and LinkedIn communities. And now our, 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 our folks are like, we need to be a membership-based organization just so that we can start representing um, the voices of DMPs of color, um, getting more impact. And that's kind of our, our mission is to create mentorship, networking, and advocacy so that we can increase diversity in doctoral studies, clinical practice, and leadership. And so this year we launched our um, committees um, there we have six committees um, that focus that are focusing on different aspects of our mission and um, getting some work done so we can have some impact. And so I'm really excited about that. And then um, we're laying the foundation so that we can become a membership based organization, hopefully by the end of this year. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's fantastic. Now, um, now, I there's definitely there's definitely a need for more. Uh, um, nurses of color mm -hmm. out there and representing uh, and role modeling. So um, uh, looking at that and looking at what the composition of nursing now is now, mm -hmm. and even looking at some of the um, some of the data that's out there, mm -hmm. we are still falling short in yep. in looking at. Uh, nursing and the composition of nursing and the composition of our communities. So doing some of the work that you've already done, um, what do you think would be uh, like a like a situation where we recruit more representation into into nursing? How do we do that? Or what is your thoughts around that? You know, it's got to be a um, intentional, multi-pronged approach. I mean, we need to hit people early and then also people that are mid-career um, in, in, in providing the opportunity and also the funding, like we talked about earlier. A lot of the barriers are time and money. 
And so looking to creating pathways. So, and I think you and I talked about what does some of the pathways look like starting with high school? Do we right. do as early as middle school? But also looking to um, the early career professionals as well, making that transition and focusing on those to get into terminal degrees, earlier career versus later career, so we can utilize them in that full capacity and having their doctorate a little bit longer <laughs> than later in life. Um, but again, it, it takes intention, financial support, and um, multi-pronged approach, I feel. And um, and for, for example, so one of the issues I know from like, even when we look at a faculty perspective, mm-hmm. right? Um, how do we how do we draw from that community into academia? Which again, looking looking at this again, a lot of uh, you know people that I've spoken to, one of the things that they always say is either well, not either. It's usually because academia doesn't pay enough, right? Mm-hmm. Which is an which is an issue. Which is an issue across mm-hmm. across the board. Um, how do we attract people into academia? Uh, because I some people say, oh well, nurses can get a second job, or they can get a, <laughs> they can do something else. I'm like, they already have a job. We shouldn't right. have to get a second job just to compensate for the fact that academia doesn't pay us enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So how do we how do we attract more uh, more nurses into more nurses of color specifically mm-hmm. into academia where? we know representation matters and we know we don't have enough representation from academic perspective. I have my own thoughts of why Mm -hmm, we, mm -hmm. we either don't have, or we sometimes don't retain. Um, But what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. So separate from the financial compensation issue, some of the conversations within our communities is the lack of mentorship or not feeling adequately prepared to even apply. And Mm. so one of the, the initiatives we're looking to create is a, Uh, post-DMP Faculty of Color um, Fellowship Program where we'll look to create um, uh, education to help individuals that are are interested in faculty get that additional faculty-specific knowledge and training to feel adequately prepared to apply. And then we're also looking at a model where we'll collaborate with different institutions and actually kind of have like a preceptorship mentorship program that runs alongside them um, as faculty where they'll have a reduced workload but also taking these this kind of uh, education track of um, uh, mentorship and um, knowledge-based skills uh, type program to give them that confidence and then also you know institutions should look toward not recruiting uh, faculty in silos because that's a lot of uh retention issues is that being the lone ones is a lot of pressure. There's a lot of things that happen that microaggressions and whatever pressure that that uh, lone faculty of color um, experiences that, you know, creates that that pressure, that stress for and then they ultimately leave. But from our perspective as DMPs of color, we want to focus on providing them that education to feel confident and, and more equipped and prepared. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you hit on some some significant points there. And I think I totally I'm 100 percent, 110 percent, I should say, on board with the the lone faculty of color, because I know there's institutions um, that that is that is one of the major problems. You know, they have one faculty of color and 
uh, I hate to even say this, they tap them for anything, anything. that's diversity related, yes. that's yes. Black Lives Matters related, <laughs> yes. that's, you know, and it, and it's it's like, it's what, it, it is, it can't, well, I mean, I, I can't say it is, but I can imagine it can be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like, when you tap into that person, like, oh, that's, that's my go-to, but no, that should yes. not be go-to. Like, the work of diversity is not, is everyone's, is, is everyone's responsibility, yeah. and then probably especially of the people that are <laughs> that are in the majority which is not the faculty of color right that (laughs) that those are the people that should be doing the legwork to try to increase diversity right it shouldn't be up to that Mm -hmm. one faculty and i 100 percent agree with that Uh, (laughs) and i think we just don't and i i don't know why why that is or why that's not as obvious um, to organizations but uh, we need to definitely uh, do a better job at that um, now, I want to talk about a little bit more about DMPs of color, because I know you're mm-hmm. looking to go towards a membership base mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of an organization. What would be your your ultimate goal with this as far as impacting not only the individual lives of uh, the DMPs that are mm-hmm. part of the organization, but mm-hmm. what would be uh, what would be your thoughts about like overall impact of DMPs of color, like mm-hmm. with a community, within a society, within the nursing profession, uh, what would that ultimate goal for you be, or what would be the ideal situation for you be? Yeah, so we wanna we wanna hit a variety of different places. You know, we do a lot around student education, but um, so providing uh, network. Networks are key. I mean, one of my colleagues always says, "Your net worth, your network is your net worth." Mm. So, encouraging scholarship in this way, where people are in places and spaces to have an expanded network, so that we can start elevating um, and inviting people at the table to where they're even just setting the table. So they're setting the agendas. They're being the leaders in the institutions. They're being the um, PIs on research projects. They they're being the chief of the department. Um, so elevating in that way, expanding in that way in terms of DMPs being a large group with a large, powerful network. Um, secondly, mentorship. Um, you can't get enough of mentorship, whether it's career, doctoral studies. So we, we want to be a source of mentorship to help cultivate the next leaders, teachers, providers. And then advocacy we want to look toward having seats at the table to influence policies policies that are relevant to our community um, looking to um, uh, community programs being present in the communities um, speaking on issues like you know vaccination hesitancy i hate that term i prefer vaccination (laughs) thoughtfulness Um, so uh, elevating the voice of the person of color experience from being a student, being a professional, being a clinician, being a researcher, being someone that's heavily involved in legislation and policy. So we, we have a lot of lot of impact areas that we want to focus on. And I think that we can do it. Our community is super engaged. A lot of people, like our committees, we have six committees and we have at least 30 people in each committee. <laughs> So people are ready for this space. They're ready to do the work and they're ready for kind of focusing on those uh, impact areas so that we can um, elevate our voice. That's fantastic. Uh, Now, I want I want to, you know, sort of also uh, give you a platform to uh, 
if there's anything like you need for this organization, like who would be <laughs> if you could ideally like uh, like uh, uh, partner with other organizations because partnership is part, just as important from an organizational perspective, mm-hmm. you know, just just like your individual networking. If you could partner with other other organizations, what would some of those organizations be and how do you think? you would well i can tell you how you could benefit them i mean just from the just from your membership alone i think they yeah. would be better off for it uh, but from the, how would how do you think they could they could help your organization mm-hmm. be the be impactful the way uh, you would mm-hmm. like it to see well i would love it if we could have some sort of collaboration or hub of dmps of color at all the major, all academic institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I w- just to serve as a community that students of color can go to for support or networking, um, and just to and, and schools can use it as a recruitment tool. Uh, I would love for us. I think about the Robert Wood Johnson campaign for action and Johnson and Johnson, like big names like that. I'm always like, oh gosh, I just need to get in front of those people and talk about us. Um, because they do great work and they believe in nursing and diversity um, type of thing. And uh, so, but, you know, being a nonprofit, we, we need money. <laughs> right, right. So uh, the, a lot of our work depends on the uh, graciousness and kindness of others donating to us. And so we have a active and engaged pool of individuals that, that donate to us, but you know, having a couple million dollars donated wouldn't wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> That's my goal. You know, at the end of this year, I've, I I tell my mentors, I was like, I'm going to get five million dollars by the end of this year, and they're like, Great, that sounds great. <laughs> hey, a goal is a goal, regardless of you know. Yeah, I got a vision, baby. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, from an academic perspective, because you mentioned partnership with academic institutions mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, what would be what would be uh, the ultimate goal with you having those uh, DMPs uh, of color in those academic institutions? Uh, what mm-hmm. would be the like? What would be the incentive for the DMP uh, to be part of part of DOC? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I when I think about us being part of the academic institutions, I can see us resting underneath their diversity, equity, inclusion kind of branch. Mm. And we would, again, uh, find ways to help them structure mentorship and um, find ways to make sure that they're successful. Um, But a lot of a lot of individuals in our private communities, they just talk about the value of just seeing people that look like them. I mean, it's that has been a game changer for a lot of people that are um, in different places and spaces throughout the United States that are in our groups. They're just like, we're just happy to see someone that looks like us. Like you don't necessarily have to say or do anything, but the fact that you've done it and that you're being, uh, uh, that you're doing different things with your, with your doctorate and making an impact, like we're just happy that you're here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So just um... being present. And, and and that's important. I think rep- I always say representation matters. Uh, so it's important to have that. And I and I and I agree with you. I think there's there's something to be said about having a support system, 
in place mm. with people like it's just like sort of being in nursing school if you have never been to nursing school <laughs> it's hard to understand what nursing school is like right yes. uh, so i think it may you know having that support system uh, a sort of a built-in support system mm-hmm. where you don't have to have a physical presence on campus but you have this group uh, that uh, that you can tap into for that mm-hmm. support that is is individuals who've gone through similar experiences um, similar education mm-hmm. so you have an opportunity to um, to feel supported or yep. kind of get guidance uh, exactly uh, and I think that's that's key that's definitely key um, so um, we you 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 briefly mentor you mentioned mentorship well not mm-hmm. briefly it's come up several times uh, so we know it has had impact uh, in your life um, mm-hmm. what would what would the ideal mentor um, you've had experience with mentors you've mentored mm-hmm. other people mm-hmm. uh, what do you think are some key things uh, in mentorship uh, for uh, in nursing in general or even specifically uh, for institutions that may not have uh, uh, nurses of color represented in their in their mm-hmm. faculty but mentorship is needed for like students of color, uh, not that I couldn't do it, but you know, I tend to my the people I mentor tend to either be uh, men or <laughs> they tend to be veterans or uh, you know those are the people that that are some a lot of times are attracted towards mm-hmm, me uh, mm-hmm. and I have no issues because we have lived some of the same experiences. Absolutely. So um, that's why and that's one of the reasons you know representation matters, but. If that does not exist in an institution other than, hey, you need to hire more diverse faculty, what are some ways that we can um, we can um, help support uh, that student population through mentorship? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some avenues in your in your uh, as you're thinking about this? So, I mean, like I said, I'm 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 doc centered. So you know, which is why I would love for us to be attached to different universities. So we may not necessarily have a formal relationship, but we can still be a resource like, hey, mm-hmm. check out DMPs of color. And some institutions that our advisory committee um, represent, they have put in plugs for DMPs of color. And that's how we've been able to get some students to at least get connected. Because sometimes even just like the Facebook mentorship or just the curbside is also helpful just to help students kind of um, think through certain things and uh, especially folks outside of their institution to get a different perspective. But in terms of solving the mentorship for academe, oh man, that's uh, that's a whole other <laughs> conversation. Uh, that's, um. a, that's, a, that's, that's a lot of work. That's it a, lot, a of work. lot of work. It's a lot of work. Now, um, now let's say I'm not a, I'm not, uh, I'm not a DMP. Well, I'm not a DMP. But let's say there's a student out there not a DMP, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how can uh, can they or can they join your organization? Yeah, that's my first question. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, how would they benefit uh, from from uh, DMPs of color? Yeah, we love aspiring DMPs, and we actually have a lot in our current groups now that aren't DMPs. They're sort of peripherally thinking about getting their doctorate and they ask a lot of questions they've connected with other individuals so I think just being part of a community of scholars is inspirational and uh, motivating 
and and a lot of them utilize the community just for those just for those things uh, uh, as uh, as they're kind of hanging out in our space. <laughs> but yeah, we love <laughs> students. We love aspiring folks. We love um, you know anyone that's uh, in support of our mission and vision and goals. Absolutely, we're 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 an inclusive space for sure. And now I have to put this out there. Will there be a student discount when you become member based? <laughs> of course, there will be a student discount. <laughs> I have to put it out there. You never know. Uh, so, uh, so thank you for this. Um, now I have to, you know, uh, you are you are DMP focused. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, and, and this has been one of my issues over the years, and and I'm just tapping into the, in, into this because <laughs> you're. You're well versed in the DMP area. Mm-hmm. Um, what is and there seems to be confusion because whenever I ask, not whenever, sometimes when I've asked DMPs what's the role of a DMP, uh, there's there's questions on what the role of the DMP is because some programs seem to be research focused and and mm-hmm. from a PhD perspective, not that I'm trying to be exclusive, but I'm like, but why? But I'm like, I don't know if that's what the DMP is supposed to do. Not that you can't do it, but uh, but I mean, what is the role of the DMP in the overall scheme of the? How do you see the DMP role evolving? Um, because it's really not that old. It's you know, it's fairly new. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the in the overall scheme of things, what's the role of the DMP? Well, I have to t- encourage people to stop stop saying that DMP is a role. It's it's our terminal degree, it's our level of right. education because we don't say PhD role, right? Well, I um, see that. <laughs> I haven't heard anyone say PhD role. Maybe I haven't hung out with you long enough. That's for that matter. But uh, having a, a, a terminal degree in nursing practice, you know, right. the beginning of it was that it was a it's a degree that translates the evidence. Uh, we a clinical doctorate that focuses on translating the evidence, focusing on evidence based practice, QI, P, PI things. Right. I think that we're at a place in space where DMP has been in existence for nearly 20 years. Uh, looking at some of the data coming out of Campaign for Action, there over the past 10 years, there's been 40,000 DMPs that have graduated and 7,000 PhDs that have graduated. Right. And so either that's, I mean, that's multifactorial as to why there's so much of this lopsidedness, but the fact still remains that uh, looking at those that have their DMP in a different way. It's For me, I feel like we're at a crossroads with this clinical doctorate and looking at expanding it beyond it just focusing on uh, clinical practice and evidence base uh, work. And uh, a lot of people think that's controversial because they are really hardcore about separating PhD being the generator of new knowledge, PhD being the translator of knowledge. And I'm in full support of that, but also, uh, providing opportunity for DMPs to get expanded knowledge and skill to look at doing research. Um, And that might just be post DMP. And so for me, DMP, they teach us to be innovative. They teach us to be forward thinking, to do disruptive innovations. And so for me, I like disrupting. I like being innovative. And I feel like I've earned my terminal degree and that affords me to be able to put myself in places, spaces, and acquire the knowledge to do some work. And whatever yeah. that work I define, that's the work I define. Yeah. Um, 
and I and I agree with you on this. Uh, but so how how do we how do we make so the reason I call it a role is because mm-hmm. um, you know P- PhDs have historically have had and I call it a role because PhDs have gone into academia, they've gone and right. has become as neuroscientists. But uh-huh. even in, outside of academia, there isn't a lot of st- space mm-hmm. in the nursing world for PhDs, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you see, you see little bits and pieces of PhDs kind of scattered around. Uh, but primarily, we're in we're in academia, and the reason I called the DMP a role it was really when it started. It started out as a clinical kind mm-hmm. of pathway, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. Uh, over time it's you know it's gone into administration and mm-hmm. some other things exactly. uh, that also have an opportunity. And I like I like the reason I asked you is because actually on your webpage I know what how you defined it, and that's why I want to kind mm-hmm. of I wanted you to speak on this. I want to see how can we provide opportunities where do you see the opportunities in uh, we know academia has its own opportunities but outside mm-hmm. of academia where do we see opportunities for dmps to thrive because mm-hmm. i've seen some positions kind of like oh now if you want to be a, a chief nursing officer <laughs> or a cne or something like that uh-huh. oh you have to have a doctorate and those people tend to go dmp administration um, a lot of times if mm-hmm. that's kind of, you know, they've told that if that's the path they need to go. Mm-hmm. But how do you see the DMP terminal degree mm-hmm. being better utilized on on the on the service side or the non-academic side? Yeah, so I got my DMP with focusing on, because uh, I'm an acute care nurse practitioner. And so when I got my DMP, I felt like it helped me practice better because I was more in tune to systems. I was more in tune to evidence and how to look up evidence and apply the evidence to my clinical practice. Right. Um, my particular department that I'm the chief of, five of my six advanced practice providers have their DMP. So we've been instrumental in creating different PIQI projects that contribute to um, the elevating of our clinical practice and creating more value to our service line. And we're more kind of laser focused in kind of creating that value because we have that level of education um, and equipped to be able to do the different PIQI projects to make that uh, successful in our um, department. So from the clinician side, for me, it literally expanded my my world to uh, um, help me practice better um, and according to the evidence. So for those that are clinicians, you can't go wrong with getting your DMP because it, 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 it provides you that opportunity to practice at a deeper level and expand your scope. Um, for me, that's what my experience was. In terms of um, other opportunities for DMP, I mean, like you mentioned, the executive tracks, that's becoming more and more popular. Um, our particular health institution, we're looking to encourage and elevate senior nursing leaderships to get their DMP because they understand the value that it brings to the institution, um, the depth of knowledge, and of course, cost savings on the back end because we're looking at the systems, we're looking at the efficiencies, we're looking at lean principles, right. we're looking at policies and procedures, and we're looking at evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, I'm going to go back to my question. So what do the institutions need to do Mm-hmm. Uh, to, I mean, we always talk about time and money. Besides that, how do we how do we create create the roles that require or promote uh, the DMP 
Mm-hmm. Um, so where, where where are those? Let's say I'm a uh, I'm a because usually there's no pay increases, right? It's like just because you get another degree, you don't, right? Uh, you don't, you don't, you don't get a pay increase for getting it. Some institutions yeah. do it, but most institutions don't, right? So, mm-hmm. what's the incentive? They're like, if somebody says, you know what, I'm I'm already practicing as a nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I'm already a, a a director or manager. What's the point of me getting a DMP? And I appreciate mm-hmm. your your answer, and I completely agree with it. Mm-hmm. But what do institutions? If you had to, if you were, let's say you were just, you were the CEO of, of a, mm-hmm. of a healthcare, uh, uh, organization, mm-hmm. what would be one thing you would do to promote the DMP, uh, program yeah. in your staff? It has, to be a, it has to be a culture shift. And I think one of the things with my department being kind of the model DMP mm-hmm. prepared, uh, uh, group is that it's, it's tuned it's tuned in leadership to like oh this this department is doing some different things they've had two irb projects come through they've you know uh, changed some different policies and protocols so it has to be a culture shift and it and it has to be built in and we're in the process of looking at a clinical ladder that recognizes those that have done the extra work from presenting to publishing to having their terminal degrees. So it has to be built into the structure of the institution. Otherwise, there is no incentive. You're not going to get paid right. more. You're not going to get any extra accolades. And a lot of us, we, we've come into nursing not necessarily for the pay and the accolades, but for the, <laughs> the, 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 the impact that we make. And so that's what getting extra degrees is also about, the advancement of your own personal development, but also giving back to the nursing profession because it's kind of like this cycle. The more we give back, the more we get, and um, it fuels our fire to continue. But it has to be a culture shift. And I will say in my um, department, we have um, uh, the one, the, the, we have a physician assistant. So she's actually um, looking into doctor of uh, medical science uh, opportunities to get her doctorate because she's like, everyone else around me has their doctorate. <laughs> so because we fostered this, uh, this level of scholarship and investment in your education and how it manifests in our clinical practice, yeah. people are taking notice. So it has to be a culture shift and, le- and key leadership have to be in place to support it. Otherwise, it's literally it's no point. And I was one of those clinicians where it was like, what's the point until I drank the Kool-Aid? And now I'm like, you get a DMP, you get a DMP, everyone gets a DMP. So channeling my inner Oprah. And yeah, also, Oprah, let me get a let me get on your calendar. <laughs> That's right, right? Yeah, you definitely. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to tag Oprah on this please, uh, on please this podcast. <laughs> yes, tell her to contact me. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, no, no, no. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Once you, once you drink the Kool-Aid, it's, it's hard to like, you know, some people are like, nurses don't need higher degrees. I'm like, well, I, well, I, yes, yes, yes and no. Right. <laughs> yes and no. Cause I would say, you know, the higher degree, even though you can be the most knowledgeable person, what mm-hmm. the degree does, it really, not only it, it teaches you what you, things that you didn't know you knew mm-hmm. or you, or things that you teaches you things that you didn't know you didn't know right absolutely uh, so it's transformational I like to call it it is it is and it really gives you a different perspective a different view and if you're coming mm-hmm. with that experience it makes you that much more valuable to the absolutely. profession 
And then it automatically, just by that degree, it opens doors for you mm -hmm. that, that did not exist 1, before. One thousand percent. I so, am a witness of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like like I, I was about I was about to finish my Ph.D. program and I'm mm -hmm. and I got a call from another like an Ivy League school. And it's like, Ooh. hey, can you work with us? Someone like on a project that, you know, happened to be, you know, again, going back to networking is somebody had told them about what I was working on uh -huh. and they, they knocked on my door, right, you know, and said, hey, can you work on a project with us? And before, you know, by the time I graduated, I had already published something with them. Awesome. Um, and and awesome. I, but they wouldn't have done that if I was a BSN student or yes. or, or a BSN prepared nurse, mm -hmm. um, because I wouldn't mm -hmm. have had those opportunities to work on the things I was working on yeah. um, and they would have never heard of me. So mm -hmm. um, there's agree. always opportunities for us to advocate and do more work uh, yes. just because the degree by itself and people, people, some people say, well, that's not how it should be. But <laughs> unfortunately, that that is how it is. And until we change that, we need to step up to the table and, and yep. do more. So I agree. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate your time. Anything else you want to share with us? And before I before you do that, I'm going to let everybody know uh, I have. <laughs> I have your uh, website, your full bio, uh, your contact <laughs> information, your Instagram account, your LinkedIn account. Everything's on the website. So, so definitely, awesome. uh, uh, hopefully you'll hear from, from a lot of people. I but anything, so anything you'd like to leave us with? You know, uh, get your DMP. <laughs> get, get, get your DMP. That's, that's what I have. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I know I, know I caught you. you after work. Uh, so I appreciate yes. you being here. Uh, Always ready. Appreciate your wisdom. I wish you the best of luck. We're going to stay connected because uh, you and I have work to do. We do have uh, work to do. I agree. <laughs> more to come on that when that happens. Um, so you've, we've been listening to Dr. Uh, Danielle McCammy, uh, and like I mentioned, all her information is on the website. Uh, I look forward to, uh, to your great success, and I wish everybody a great rest of their week, and we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.